Well, we continue today in our study of uh, Ezekiel, and we're in Ezekiel 36 today, uh, looking at verses 22 through 30. Jeannie and I had the privilege to be invited into a ministry that had been flourishing for a long time prior to us, and, and there are some here that were part of that ministry. Maureen was part of that ministry early on with Hands of Hope. But the, the goal of the ministry is to go into Zambia. Uh, at this point, they're taking funds that we have and, and, and have donated, and then they go into Zambia and figure out a way to bring some of the necessities that people need to some of the poorest people in the world. Uh, water, fresh water. Uh, people are still dying of dysentery and, and not using the same puddle for washing clothes and other things and drinking. And it's just awful to see that kind of poverty. Uh, not enough food, the sandy soil uh, does not produce food naturally the ways that it does here. It takes work and it's hard work to actually help them understand how to use that land and grow into doing that. And so soil and, and learning how to bring something from the soil so that it's sustainable, long beyond the ministry of Hands of Hope. Medicine. It is remarkable to me. I don't know if any of you have been out of the country or been to a third world country. But going to a place where medicine is not as readily available is not something that I'm aware of. I mean, I was driving with Jeannie yesterday. We went up to Wisconsin for, for a minute, and I'm driving by how many medical places where you can get emergent care. You know, hey, you've gone another two miles? We got a place for you. We can get you medicine. And I went for the first time in Zambia, and there was a clinic that we had put in, and there was a grandmother carrying her granddaughter and had walked for four miles to get her medicine for malaria. And I go into this little hut where we built that and provided a place for, the, for this medicine to be distributed. That was the only chance they had. People are dying of stuff that they should not be dying of anymore. And as you look at providing food, providing education, building schools, providing uh, water, fresh water, and then ultimately with Zambia Acts, in providing churches and a place where pastors can be taught. And, and there are now seven to ten churches that are flourishing in, that com in those communities. And you hear other people say it's like Jesus came to town. People will say in neighboring villages, when's Jesus coming to our town to bring water? And it's phenomenal to see what God is doing. Now, I've just painted a picture that we could all say, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it. Now let me tell you how hard it is. When you have a culture of poverty, it's like a disease. It's been handed down. A culture of degradation has been handed down. In the community, when your daughter gets of age, 13, 14 years old, a flag goes up and your daughter's for sale. There is a beat down and, and around this bush community, these communities that are all spread out in the bush, everyone else looks down on them. Their neighbors think they don't deserve much. So you're raised believing that you're less valuable, believing that there's less hope, believing, and, and then in comes people that want to help. And what do they do? They bring in money and they give food and they give, which is wonderful, right? 
People are hungry, give them food. The problem is, is that the next time they're just waiting for someone to give them food. The, the disease of poverty is awful because it's something that's written into the culture and into their identity that needs to be rewritten. And in Christ, there's incredible hope. And I could tell you stories of victory, but I'm, the purpose of that I'm telling you this story is not for you to look at Zambia and say, wow, we should all go do that, which maybe someday I'll tell you that. But today what I want you to see is that God is trying to reach into our twisted culture and change us. God is a God who longs to bless us, who desires to give us all these good gifts. Why haven't we received them? Why are not we living in that identity? So as we look at this passage, we are in, well, it's now 586 B.C., and, and uh, Jerusalem has just fallen. In the first half of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has been writing from Babylon about the coming doom, the coming judgment to Jerusalem. And now it's happened, and there is a shift in Ezekiel. And the shift is now to God of grace, oracles of mercy, oracles of hope. Because God's goal is to save, to redeem and restore. So would you read with me, if you would, in Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 30, and we'll see my title is a bit redundant, but I want you to get it. God is the abundant giver of great gifts. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 30. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I am struck by how far from you we exist, how far from you our culture wanders. How disappointing we must be to a holy God. I underestimate your holiness often and I underestimate your sin, our sin often. But you are a God of grace. And you are a God of mercy and you have provided a way 
to do heart surgery on us and to give us real hope. Father, I pray that you would redeem this generation. I pray that you would restore our nation. I pray that you would work mightily and revive and that you would not give up on us. In Jesus' name, amen. God has a desire to bless for 34 chapters. 35th is a bit transitional, but for 34 chapters, God has been saying two things in Ezekiel. I'm going to judge Judah. I'm going to judge Israel. I'm going to judge Jerusalem. I'm going to judge the nations. I'm going to act on behalf of humanity and my action is going to be in keeping with what I keep seeing people doing to each other, people doing to their marriages, people doing to their families, people doing to their neighborhoods, people doing at work. Because of it, I am going to judge. And it has been hard, and he's been talking about this judgment coming. And throughout it, there's the question, throughout this whole series that we're talking about, does God keep his promises? God promised to bless. God promised to give a land. God promised to give a king. God promised to have a temple where he could be approached or a tabernacle. God promised these things. And the Israelites are in a serious crisis because after a thousand years, they have now reached a point where God is judging. God is taking things away that they thought were their birthright. They thought it was owed to them just by just simply being children of Abraham. And now after the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple and the king being carried away, chapter 36, verses 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. God says, I am going to act because of who I am. I am going to keep my promises because of who I am. I'm a promise keeper, and I'm going to act on the promises that I've made, and I'm going to continue to do good for those I want to do good for, even when it's not returned to me. He is going to act because of who he is. And all of this stems from Genesis 12, 1 through 3, when God called a man out of Ur and called him into Canaan, a man named Abram, who would become Abraham, the father of the Israelites. And in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. This is what God's going to do. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God's goal, God's plan was, God's promise was that the blessing would come from Israel, that the blessing would come from Abraham, from the children of Abraham. I will bless you, I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in, all, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now over a thousand years later, that's like 2000 BC if we're rounding, that God is saying that to Abraham. 
And after the promise being delivered to Isaac and to Jacob and to the children of Jacob who would be called Israel, the promise being made to Moses and the promise being made to to David, those promises, the promise of a land, the promise of people, the promise of blessing, they were based on an unconditional promise from God the Father and the people again and again kept going to the, saying, oh, God promised it unconditionally. I'm owed this. I deserve this. I'm going to live however I want. And they were not careful to follow life. In fact, God predicted that they wouldn't in Deuteronomy 28 and 29. And we'll look at that in a moment. But for now, what I want you to see is that God intended, his heart was, to bless a group of people who would then turn around and mirror his blessing and to other people. And that the world would be blessed and know that it was Yahweh and they would turn to Yahweh. People in the world would turn to Yahweh because they had seen Israel walking with Yahweh and had seen the blessing that comes from that. And now, after worshiping other gods and failing, judgment has come. And God says, that promise, that plan, you've profaned my name among the nations, it says in verse 22. You haven't blessed them. You've cursed them. You've, you've, you've defamed my name. And it's not like God is so worried about what people think about him, I think. I think God is worried about that people need the Lord. And we were supposed to go and tell people and just put on display this love and this blessing and the, and the, the Father's heart. And instead, we cursed and did it in God's name. God help us. And now God says, I continue to do good because of who I am. And this should give us incredible hope today. No matter how well you and I do, God will be faithful because it's who he is. God will love because it's who he is. God will continue to give good gifts with or without us because that's who he is. I am about to act, he says. Get excited. Because we have a God who loves us, who is gracious and compassionate. For the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you came. So you have Israel and the nations that are now receiving judgment, and God is now saying, but I'm, there's coming a day when my blessing, my, you'll see what my heart really is. It was always to bless to encourage, to build up. And in many ways, what's happened now is self-hope is gone. The fact that I am a child of Abraham, the fact that I am a child of David's, or whatever that legacy is, the fact that my parents went to church on Sunday, or that I went to church as a child, and I memorized verses in Awana, therefore God likes me more than the other people. It's not true. God likes you, loves you like he loves everyone. And you don't get this inheritance just because you're adjacent to somebody who's getting the inheritance. God's desire is to bless you. It is from this very heart of God that I chose to parent with this statement. Kids, do you have any idea how much I want to bless you? 
but I can't bless that. When you're cruel to your siblings, when you're lying and cheating and stealing, I can't bless that. I won't bless that. But if you knew my heart, that with everything in me, I want to give you good gifts, the last thing I want to do is come home and scold you. The very last thing. I want to come home and wrap you up in my arms. Don't you know that's God? That their end of the chapter of Ezekiel is filled, these last chapters are filled with, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I want to do. I'm going to bless. Right in the midst of the failure, God desires to bless and give good gifts. In James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. What is it that we could be deceived about? Well, don't be deceived that God isn't good. Don't be deceived that God doesn't love you when things are hard. Don't be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It was God's, in God's heart and in his character to bless, to, to redeem, to restore to give us the gifts that our hearts so desperately needed. God is rooting out evil and establishing people to bless. Verse 23, I will vindicate my holy, the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. That's a remarkable verse that God's desire still is to bless through us, through people, through the Israelites in this case, through the remnant, through the people that choose to follow, that choose to trust, and by faith, when they trust God, he does this work that we're about to look at, an incredible blessing. But it's in his heart to still use us, to still Make us part of this redemptive story. And I've wondered about that often. I have verbally said out loud to God, don't you have a better plan than me? It seems like there should be a better plan. But God's heart is to redeem through people. And I maybe understand it a little more now as I look at the work in Zambia. What changes people is to become part of the solution. Not to sit there and wait and just receive. Take care of me, take care of me, take care of me. But actually to see pastors that are coming up from communities where once they were not walking with the Lord, now they are walking with the Lord and within three years are preaching and bringing other people to Christ. And I'm like, that's it. Talk about giving dignity to people. There is a dignity that God wants to give to us by including us in the story. He is blessing through us. All the way back when he made this promise to Abraham, his desire was to bless through the Israelites. Why? Because it is his heart to pour into people and give them meaning and life and purpose. 
not just to put them on a couch, on a recliner, and say, here's your food, here's your stuff. You don't have to do anything. I got it all. No, he invites us into the story for our own good. And so I guess the answer to my question is, don't you have a better answer? No, not for us, he doesn't. The best answer for us is that he blesses through us, through the remnant. In verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. This is found in Deuteronomy 30, verse 4. In Deuteronomy 28 and 29, God says, I put before you life and death. You get to pick. What are you going to choose? If you follow my law and you walk close with me, it'll be life and I'll give you these good things. If you choose to walk away from me and serve other gods, it'll be death and judgment. But in Deuteronomy 30, verse 4, he says, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. He already predicts they're going to fail. When you fail, when you wander, because of who I am, God says, I will bring you home. I'll bring you from the nations where you were scattered. This is who God is and what he's doing. He is an abundant giver of great gifts. You wonder why in our mission it is to get involved in the schools or to help with ESL or to give food or to do divorce care. Why, why are we doing those things? It's just mirroring the heart of God. And the goal is not that they would see, it's not a church building plan. It's not a look at us plan. It's this is what God has done for us. We want them to know it tangibly by the way that we act. It is God's good plan to give us good gifts and for us to share those good gifts with the nations and the world around us. That's our job. That's our joy. That's our privilege. That's dignity. God is taking impoverished people like you and me and giving us a new culture. In verses 25 through 26, it says that he will breathe new life into my people. The problem with the story so far through 22 and 24 is I am going to bring these people home and I'm going to make them a blessing, but how can they possibly do that? They've been failing for years. Bringing them home does not cure them. I'll let you on a little secret. Giving people water, food, school, and clinics does not fix the real problem. That solves a problem that we should all be concerned about, but that doesn't save. That saves for a season. From now on, we look at a gift that has been given by God that solves the problem of we're going to go home, but what about our sinful hearts? What about the places that we fail? What's really the disease that's within us? 
In verse 25, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Four times. Clean, clean, uncleanness, I will cleanse. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to cure you. I'm going to cleanse. This is the good gift I'm giving. God's gifts have solved the problem of what in the world are we going to do? How can we possibly go into the nations and promote what God's doing? God is the one who's doing a new work in us. He's cleansing. And how is that accomplished through Christ? I was done with my notes this morning and I was sitting out in the lobby and, and uh, Hazel and Eleanor came up to me, grabbed my marker out of my hand and uh, began to write on my notes. They felt like my notes weren't sufficient. So they <laughs> added into them and I sat up here while we were singing thinking there's actually something pretty cool about this. So I'll read a little bit according to Hazel and Eleanor. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me, heart, Hazel, Eleanor, because the Lord has anointed me, heart, heart, to bring good news to the poor, star, cross, picture of Jesus, heart, 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 cross, grass, and sun. Not sure what the grass is about. Why do I point this out? Because written over our passage, that's the passage I'm going to use as a benediction, but written over our passage is the cross. Written over our passage is heart, 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 I love you. I've come to help, real help. I've come to cure. I've come to redeem and restore and give you dignity. When we talk about cleansing, you have to look at the cross. How does a holy God go for 34 chapters talking about judgment because of our failures to all of a sudden talking about cleanness? And we've looked at this again in the prophets. Really, when we were talking about Isaiah, it was the same thing. It's startling. I get it. Failure, shame, pain, you know, disappointment. Cleansing. Is it free? Well, it's free to us by faith. It wasn't free cost our Lord and Savior his life. And cleansing, real cleansing, guilty no more. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Amen. So thank you, Eleanor and Hazel, for writing all over my notes. In verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In this, he is quoting and continuing to expand upon his own book when we preached last week, Ezekiel 11, 17 to 20, where he promises to give us heart surgery. And what does that mean for us, this heart surgery? He's speaking spiritually. He's talking about the heart being the place where we have our emotions, what comes from us. 
where we have our character, we have our thought. And in Matthew 15, 17 to 20, Jesus refers to the heart in this way. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat what is unwashed with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus talks about what's the core problem of humanity. The core problem that we have is that we have hearts that are tainted by sin. We have wills and emotions and thoughts that are tainted by sin. We, we get to the place where we don't even recognize that it's sin anymore. We start justifying it. We start saying, well, that's normal. Well, they deserve that. Well, that's just how my parents were, so that's how I am. And on goes a culture of sin far worse than the culture that I saw in Africa. A culture of sin that goes from generation to generation that tears down and degrades and beats down and diminishes and kills the very soul. And God looks at a people that have culturally died and so wrought with sin and worship of other gods that He says that I will give you a new heart. I will put a new heart in you. I will give you a new, something new to draw emotions from, something new to draw your thoughts from, something, and he says it's the Spirit of God, the breath of God. I will breathe new life into my people is how I put it as a point, the second point, because I have in my mind the picture of Adam when he was just dust and God breathing life into him and him being, being created in the image of God, and it's the very breath of God that breathes life into Adam, and I'm picturing God going around, breathing new life into people again. And spirit and breath are very close in their words in the Greek. This is Hebrew, but... The very breath of God, the Holy Spirit, given to us. Another one of these good gifts from God that he uses to save. How is it that he puts a new spirit in us? He puts a new spirit in us because of what Christ has done. Remember what he said? John the Baptist came to baptize with water, but I came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I came to put a new spirit in you, a new heart in you. This is the work that God is doing and has given us. God will do it. Finally, I will cause my people to flourish. The picture I want you to have in your mind for this one is the prodigal son coming home. You're not coming home to slavery. You're not coming home to a tight-fisted father who doesn't want to put... He wants to... I'm studying Ephesians right now. He wants to lavish his gifts on you. Do you know God lavishes? You know, that's his heart. His heart is to lavish good gifts on you. His love for you is beyond what we understand. In 
In verse 27, we see that I will walk, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm going to do this. I didn't have a real good understanding of this when I started walking with the Lord. The one who gave me righteousness for eternity gives me righteousness today. If I'm walking in close proximity with my Father in the Spirit, then righteousness comes from us, from our hearts, the heart that he gave us. This is what God wants us to have. You will dwell in the land that I gave to you. That's what it says in verse 28. You will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. What did this mean for them then? Well, at 586 B.C., some say 587, 586 B.C., Babylon came and deport, ruined the temple, took the rest of the temple elements, took the king out of Jerusalem and deported the last of the Israelites out of Jerusalem. And now Ezekiel is saying, I'm going to give you that land. God hasn't forgotten his promise to Abraham to give this land to them. He's going to give them a place. And for the Israelites, part of that was answered within 50 years from then, about that, where they returned to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But the promises that are talked about and the prophets that we're looking at are far beyond just that. I was talking to Brian Desitels this week and, and trying to describe what was described to me when I was in seminary. These prophecies are look, like looking at the mountains. And when you look at the mountains, when you get into Kansas and you get the chance to see the, the mountains off in the distance, you know what I'm talking about? And you've driven out towards Colorado? So you drive towards Colorado and you see the mountains and you might see a smaller hill in the front that looks almost as big as that big mountain behind it. And it looks like there's hardly any space between those two. And he said, that's what the prophecies are like. That there are local answers to what has been prophesied about, but God's ultimate plan is so much bigger than you ever imagined. And further beyond, and he gives us a down payment. Today, we're living in a season of down payment of what is to come. And we see we're on that hill, but we didn't realize it's, it's a ways off still. But what God is about to do is far greater than we ever imagined. And he's going to bring us home. And he's going to keep his promise. And he's going to bless us. His goal is for us to flourish. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I can't believe that's still God's goal, to be connected with us after all of our failures, but because of who he is, he is calling us into a relationship with him that is eternal, and we know it's secure because of who he is. Left up to us, we're not going to be saved. Left up to us, it won't remain. 
Verse 29, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. <coughs> now for the Israelites on that front land, he was talking about land. He was talking about that property that he promised to Abraham. But ultimately, the church would rise up as the people that are redeemed and the land that was promised to us is the fruit of the Spirit. The land that was promised to us was being part of his redemptive plan for humanity. And we're still here because our job is to gather together in churches like this one and become the body of Christ and to put on display the glory of God and to be about his business. We have the most incredible purpose. Do you know why you're here, people of God? If you are a called child of God, it isn't just to survive till he returns. We're on the front hill, and there's coming a day when everything will be healed, and everything will be restored, and everything will be made right, and we'll all be young. I can't even imagine. Can you imagine getting out of bed and not hurting you older people? There's coming a day when you'll jump and shout for joy. <laughs> Mr. Nooney. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it yet. <laughs> You're only a month into that new knee. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant. God's desire is to not bless us a little. God's desire is to shower, lavish his blessing on us. Some of you may feel like, well, God's disappointed in me. and I... You're like the prodigal on the way home thinking, well, if he just lets me into his presence a little, I'll be. Well, that's a great place to start, but I want, let me tell you about the heart of God. His desire is to shower blessing on you and not give you a second-hand position in the people of God, but to give you the position of his child and to share in the inheritance of his son, Jesus Christ. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. The disgrace of famine. I started with telling you a story of Zambia, and it is oppressive. Famine is oppressive. Degradation is oppressive. Beatdown is oppressive. I'm here to tell you that we live in a world we've all experienced it. There's another kind of famine, a spiritual famine, a relational famine, an emotional famine that is perpetuated generation to generation. And God came to redeem, and his heart is to bless. Abundant giver of great gifts, that's who God is. Today, I want you to have hope. But I also want to warn you that this wasn't given to everybody. It was offered to everybody, but not everyone received it. And to this day, there are people that continue to live without the Spirit of God and without the forgiveness that is available to them in Jesus Christ. And God is saying to you, I can't bless that. I won't bless that. And I'm pleading with you. 
Consider carefully what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ today. Because I want all of you to receive what God has offered through Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how can it be that we who have failed, we who cost your son his life, we who would have hurled insults, more than likely, we who have been part of the problem, are loved, are redeemed in Christ, are restored and part of the solution that we have become messengers of dignity. Father, I pray that you would empower us to bring glory to your name and that many more would come because we walked with you while we were on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.